Welcome to podcast 2187. Enjoy the show. And don't forget to submit your blaster for inspection. So welcome to podcast 2187. And I didn't realize today, or earlier today, how much we were going to have to talk about tonight. Because it's quite a bit. It really is. Uh... I, I guess first off, I'll go ahead and I'll check in with Mark. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm reading. Yeah, you're you're reading. You're reading some good stuff. It sounds like. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's definitely stuff. Anyways, go ahead, Tim. So I I do guys just so you all know I'm excited, man. What what he's reading, I'm gonna read later. I haven't I barely read anything from it, but I'm like excited and I want to talk about it. But we'll get to that in a little bit. First things first, guys. Jar Jar. I don't know if you heard. He might be back. Um, it sounds like He's Jason back. Jason at makingstarwars.net has said that um, they haven't actually filmed it yet, so it is possible things can change. But at this point, it seems like Jar Jar is going to be involved in some capacity with the Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, don't know how extensive it is yet, um, but he said that it looks like Jar Jar will have a beard in it which is interesting um and that he will somehow cross paths with obi-wan at some point so it's interesting because you have to wonder if that means if obi-wan leaves tatooine or if if he just sees star jar on tatooine but um and you also have to wonder how much of a plot point it is if it's just more of a uh not not a throwaway scene but if it's just more of a moment uh that for character building for obi-wan or if it's like an episode or if it's an arc (laughs) you know i mean we don't know yet but uh, it was an interesting thing because uh, it kind of came out of left field for me. I didn't like when I saw the, the the story and the link for it and everything. I'm like, wait, is that serious? I mean, just because I I mean, I'm fine with it. I just didn't expect to see that. I, I kind of came out of nowhere for me. But what did you think about it? About the. Uh... Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think I think you and I have actually talked about about this before. Um Oh, I'm gonna assume we did. Uh, <laughs> there was there was at one point where I think I mentioned that I would have loved to see a Clone Wars Clone Wars style show set after you know Revenge of the Sith that kind of takes you to the characters that you've followed and shows you what life is like for them. You know, in the Galactic yeah. Empire. Yeah, we called it uh, Clone Wars Aftermath. <laughs> right. Right. So, so one of the things that had always appealed to me with that idea, and I think I even mentioned it, was Jar Jar. Jar Jar would be one of the, could be one of the most, <laughs> the saddest stories that there is. Yeah. You know, he's, he's lost his friend. He, you know, he's lost Anakin. He's lost Padme. He's lost Obi-Wan. Um, he's responsible for you know, the, the Galactic Republic with, with his vote. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now he he's one of the few people who behind the scenes would probably know what's going on and would have to run. Now, there is no place, I think, in Star Wars to where you could have a serious conversation between Darth Vader and Jar Jar. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just trying to picture that, like, in a movie. Right. Like, that That just... That just it, the epitome of seriousness in Star Wars, combined with the epitome of comedic relief in Star Wars together, it just does not mesh. But you could have, you could have a broken-down Jar Jar with a beard 
talking to talking to Obi Wan, and and I think people will buy it. I think people will dig it. I'll be honest. I, I would be a little concerned, depending on who is helming this. But with it being Deborah Chow, I, I'm more curious than concerned. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see it. You know, it's it sounds like as it is now, we're really getting. Did you ever think, Tim, that we would get a sequel to Revenge of the Sith? Uh, I'm not talking. Hope. I'm not talking a New Hope. I mean, <laughs> just like, did you ever think we would get a live action sequel to Revenge of the Sith? No. No, because as because as it is now, supposedly they're casting someone for Leia, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got a young Leia, a young Luke. If there's a young Leia, there's probably a Bail Organa. Yeah. So we're getting Jimmy Smith back because you know Jimmy Smith will do it. That so you're gonna great. have you're gonna have Jimmy Smith and Jar Jar and Obi Wan. You're gonna have Bail, you know Ben and 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 Jar Jar. In a damn limited series, I mean, it's like I never thought we'd get this. No, yeah, I think it's cool. It really is because whether I mean, The Mandalorian has really shown a lot that you can take a con. I mean, now granted, you have an amazing talent behind that with people like Dave Favreau. Dave Favreau, wow, Dave Filoni That's and John Favreau. I don't know where I, I should have played that off like that was on purpose, but it wasn't. No, you, you're just you're just shipping them together. <laughs> um, so uh, or you know, uh, John Filoni. Yeah, how about that? Um, so when you got creative talent like that behind a series, you can take something as simple as a single bounty hunter made to learn who's not Boba Fett and make it into a captivating and extremely popular show. You know, and again, like we have Deborah Chow, who has already proven herself through the Mandalorian to Star Wars fans, um, helming this, which already the premise is more intriguing than the Mandalorian was for most people because we've been wanting more Ewan McGregor Obi Wan for ten years, so uh, fifteen years now actually. So uh, it's a, it's a it's kind of like a perfect storm scenario that we have. And it's really interesting to see where they go with it because something like this is, again, it's so out of left field. It's so interesting that I, I'm wondering what other types of things are going to bring into it. You mentioned maybe Bail Organa. That would be a little less out of left field, but it's still interesting to see how that storyline plays into this. If he has any communication with him since he's the one with Leia, you know, is Obi-Wan at all keeping tabs with Leia or was he really just with Luke? I mean, how, I'm really curious about these things and I think we can actually find out more about it other than just, I said for a while on the show, we have one of the greatest Jedis to ever live sitting here on a desert planet for 20 years. I feel like there's a lot of storyline there and I stick by that, but I think we can also find out more about things like how he looked out for Luke and Leia along the way. So it's a really cool opportunity and I'm, anxiously awaiting more information about it because it's still a little ways out there. Yeah, a little ways. I mean, they haven't... Yeah, that's, even... that's all we've got, really, at this point. You know, we, we've yeah. got... We only have, what, three things that we know of? For yeah, sure. Pretty much. For sure. Pretty much. Yeah. And sometimes I still think they're going to adopt the... They're going to adopt the... What's the word I'm looking for? The other Mike? shoe's going to drop? Is that oh. what it's called? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to say, you, you know what, we just... We just don't have anything for Cassian. <laughs> we tried. Uh, we tried. I don't know. I mean, they, they've been seemingly developing that for some time now. 
it will be bad, but at the same time, I think once they start getting things rolling, they're like, we don't even really need Cassian. We'll just put Baby Yoda in everything. <laughs> well, that's just it. Maybe uh, uh, if he's 50, that yeah, that works. So maybe you can get uh, Cassian transporting Baby Yoda to somewhere. And he finds a Mandalorian mask and puts it on, and we realize that the Cassian series is just a prequel to the Mandalorian. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bad idea. But yeah, I, can't even, I can't even joke around. <laughs> so that was one big thing, just to kind of bring us back here. The Jar Jar in the Kenobi series story leak plot thing from Jason today. It was today or yesterday. I don't know, sometime recently. Um, so that was pretty neat. Let's see. Uh, Sometimes since we last recorded, let's put it that way. That's a good way to put it. Much more professional way than what I did. Yep. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Thank you. So we have that. Uh, Mark, you and I were going to discuss into a little bit more detail the score for The Rise of Skywalker. We've talked about it a little bit here and there, but we haven't really done any, like, for example, an episode about it. Um, and we will still have one coming up, but it, it has been a little bit uh, rescheduled, we'll say, because of something else that has recently come up that kind of is a little bit more timely to discuss that we'll get to in a little bit. However, you did still um, tweet about it a little bit um, and, and talking about the score. And I think about it, and you know, one of the things uh, I was thinking about, I was listening to a... Um, uh, another podcast today uh, and the topic there was basically you know about what's going forward as far as music goes uh, you know I mean John Williams by the way was nominated I think it was 52nd nomination today uh, I think uh, it was yeah for Rise of Skywalker yep and he had better win well personally <laughs> I don't think I don't think he deserves to win for well, cause, look, if they give it to Disploffer, like, well, it wasn't for this individual project. It was for his career, really. Well, then you should no, do this exact they, thing for this. They gave it to they gave it to Ennio Morricone for Hateful Eight because of his career. Yeah, see, so that's what I'm saying. If that's how they're doing it, then yeah, dang well better give it to Mr. John Williams for the conclusion of the Star Wars series. For, yeah, and to I be mean, honest, I mean, I mean, based on everything that I, based on all the stuff that they nominated, I think John Williams deserves to win. Um, I do think there was other, there was some equally as good soundtracks out there this year that was not, not that were not nominated. Right. Uh, some, some personal favorites of mine, but you know, personal favorites don't really make a difference with nominations and all that. Um, but I mean, going forward, so so for obviously, John Williams led the resurgence of classical style music for for film scores. Yeah. Um, Period. Absolutely, you know when when he came back and it was Jaws, and then it was Close Encounters and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and so on. Mm-hmm. You know he's sort of been the one at the forefront, and a lot of people are influenced by him. Uh, Giacchino clearly influenced by him did Rogue One. Um, uh, John Powell clearly I, influenced by him did Solo. I've done a lot of interviews with film composers for another project I've worked on for a while, and almost. And I'm not exaggerating. Almost every single one I've talked to, I I always ask them what got them into film scoring and what was their inspiration for it. Just about 95% of the time, they say John Williams. And about well, 80, thing- 80% of the time, they say Star Wars. But every time, it's well, John Williams. And even the ones who you wouldn't think are the natural 
uh, heirs to to John Williams. Yeah, people like Hans Zimmer, or yep. people like you know uh, Hulkenberg or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hulkenberg's right. Yeah, they definitely have a style, but they're using different instruments that John Williams necessarily would never do. Right, or would never use. So my question is, we've got a series coming up 400 years in the past. Potentially, that's that's the rumor anyway. Right. We've I've enjoyed Goranson's music for The Mandalorian. I think it's perfect for that show. Absolutely. Do you want someone to take a chance or do you want them to take a chance with uh, any sort of composer? Not necessarily Goranson, but anybody. Or do you want them to fit sort of the classical Star Wars music. And I don't mean use Star Wars themes. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. The that style. style. Do you want that style in the next trilogy or the next series of movies? What do you, what do you want? Well, let me read the, I have the, I have your actual tweet here. I can, I can read it. You said, who would you like to see composing the scores for the Obi-Wan or Cassian Andor series? Also, would you want the new series of films to have music similar to Williams, or would you like them or want them to experiment like Goranson does with The Mandalorian? So uh, we have a couple different responses. I'll read those, and then I'll say what my thoughts are after that. Um, first off, we have Blake here, who I don't know why we're reading his reply, but we will. Because it's half-joking. It, well, <laughs> he says, whoever did The Mandalorian should do everything else until they die. Stop giving new people a chance and start building John Williams 2.0. And then after that, he says he was half joking, but the more I think about it, the more I agree with myself. Yeah, that's a very Blake thing to say. Um, after that, we have uh, Josh Arred. He said, in terms of the new films, I'd have to say it depends on what they go for. If they go um, sprawling epic, then Williams is more of a fitting genre. I- I'm sorry. I need to read this again. Josh Outred said that uh, in terms of the new films, I'd have to say it depends on what they go for. If they go sprawling epic, then Williams-esque. If it's more genre, then change it up. I also think Tyler Bates could be great for Cassian. That's that's interesting. Tyler Bates doesn't get a lot of credit because his biggest thing recently has been Guardians of the Galaxy, and everybody thinks about the soundtrack for that being the the uh, eight tracks or whatever was, from it. There was something else that he was doing lately, and I don't remember. Like I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, really? Okay, you go, man. You do you. Go ahead, keep talking." And then I also want to say here that Roll Farm Boy said he loved to listen to what Bear McCreary would make uh, for the I story. I get behind that one. I could get behind that for sure. I mean, you know, he's, you know, I've talked about him a bunch. We think he's a little underrated just because he does some great work. He's getting increasing recognition, but he's still not where he deserves to be in my eyes. So that would be great. Uh, Joe Kramer is another one you and I talk about a bunch. I've said before, Alan Silvestri would be great for some stuff. So there are a lot of great options out there. Um, But to get back to your original point, personally, I feel like if we're going for the High Republic era. um, Wait, wait, time, time, time. Yeah, uh, Tyler Bates. Yeah, John Wick. John mm, yeah. Two and John Wick Three. Uh, Hobbs and he's actually picking up again because he was kind of quiet for a while. But yeah, looks like looks like he's doing. He did obviously Guardians of the Galaxy, then John Wick, then John Wick Two, Guardians of the Galaxy Two, and he did like Atomic Blonde. Uh, he also did Deadpool Two. Okay. Uh, Dark three Hobbs and Shaw, and now he's doing. Uh, clearly, he has a good relationship with James Gunn. 
this will be the sixth collaboration with with uh, James Dunn. He or James Gunn. He's doing uh, Suicide Squad. He's he he'd be decent. Uh, Bear McCreary. Before you get into that, uh, sorry, let me comment on that. Bear McCreary did an amazing, amazing Godzilla score. I love it yeah. so much. I meant to say that, and then I forgot when I was talking to myself. It, um, it was so <laughs> drowned out in the movie, but the score is unbelievable, and he was so faithful to Akira yeah. Ufukube's, uh, uh original Japanese... Uh, I won't say Japanese Godzilla movies, because he was so faithful to the stuff that you grew up with as a kid, and, and the yeah. marches and the music, that that I think he would do phenomenal. Well, that's what I was... Over. Like he did a great job of getting the uh, the DNA of Godzilla and making that with uh, having that in mind when he created a new score for it. I feel well, like and he, we don't he, even know what the DNA of the, of the of the trilogy or the new old films would be. Yeah. Now, 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 Will Farmboy's got me thinking because I had I had my thoughts set on who I want to do what where, and uh, now I'm about to maybe change it up a little bit. So go ahead, Tim. So, so this is what I'm thinking. Um, let me. I'll start with Disney Plus, um, like series with Cassie and Kenobi and all that. Um, I would, I would like to see it continue what they've started with Gorson here, which is um, a different composer per project and his own take on Star Wars with it. So, like what Gorson did is, of course, authentic to him, and it's great, and it fits perfectly with this Western Star Wars style. Um, I would really love to see somebody for the Kenobi series do something similar, a different person. Uh, I, as far as who it is, I, I'm open. <laughs> it doesn't matter. To someone that, that's part of what's interesting about it. I don't have an idea of what it should sound like yet. I want to see what somebody else feels. So that's why I want to get somebody who's talented, of course, and, and, and going to be good at doing the job, but to bring their identity to Star Wars and make sure it still fits, but just like what Gordon said it. And I feel like the Disney Plus series are the perfect places to do that and to kind of expand what we know to be the, the background narrative of Star Wars with the score. Um, so I don't really have any specifics for that, but I do want to see them explore new grounds, new personnel and, and, and all that. Going more toward the new movies with the the High Republic era, which by the way was referenced recently in, in a Kylo Ren series the comic book series they referenced great, the high republic era series. yeah no I, i've only seen a little bit of it but i really want to want to start well re- reading at this that. point just wait till it comes out in paperback because it's selling yeah out. yeah i think it will but i am uh i am reading the darth vader by the way so after you talked about that last time on oh, Amazon. Empire, darth vader. oh yeah yeah how are you liking it oh so far it's great where, where am i he is uh i think vader's setting out to get jocasta new oh right on yeah good stuff yeah it's great uh, anyway, so, <laughs> um, so for that, I, I feel like it would be, uh, very, very, very smart for them to get somebody, not John Williams, who can develop something in the DNA of the prequels. So each trilogy with Star Wars has sounded very different, right? Um, well, I don't want to say very different, but they've had their own identities within star wars so the prequels have their sound the originals and the sequels they all have three separate sounds they're all star wars they all blend together but they're like three different faces of the same you know jewel or whatever so um what i would like to see is somebody develop a new sound for this that is an evolution of the style that we have from the prequels because this is 
um, you know, 400 year prequel to the prequels, right? Um, so I would like to see something that that is in the same vein of that with this grandiose, you know, you know grandeur to the sound. So as far as some people, I already mentioned, you know, of course, I've, I've said for forever, I think Alan Silvestri would knock it out of the park with the Star Wars score. But I actually don't even know if I would want him for this because I feel like he would steer more toward an original trilogy kind of sound um, than the prequels. So some of this is kind of out of left field, but I would really be interested to hear um, Pinar Toprak, who did, she made a name for herself doing Fortnite, but then did Captain Marvel was a big one. Um, okay, I, but let, me, let me ask a quick question. Yeah. If these movies are a one, two, three. Yeah. Do they need to have, in your opinion, the same composer? Well, I'm getting to there in a minute. Okay, dokie. Okay. <laughs> Because I just um, thought that one was kind of a little bit. Uh, uh, if it was this person has to do it all, I was like, okay, I'm I'm not sure that they've done enough for me to really enjoy. Right, right. Well, I mean that's very true. And so the thing I was gonna say, I would like to see her maybe uh, get a shot at it because some of what she did specifically with Captain Marvel, uh, oh, I think yeah. she's shown big range going from something like the sound of Fortnite to Captain Marvel, um, but also just oh, yeah. The, the the sound I picked up on so some things in the theater when I was watching Captain Marvel. I'm like, wow, that, that would really work in a Star Wars setting. It, like, it stood out, like some of the Christmas. and Anyway, so um, moving on. Uh, I, I was going to say, we don't know yet if this is a trilogy or if it's just going to be a series of films and all that. And that kind of made me think, well, we don't want to necessarily commit to the same, uh, not just composer, but the same personnel throughout the series because if it turns out to be you know five or six films well i don't know maybe we don't we, we want an evolution with it so i was going to say it, it might be a good idea to evolve like if the directors change so we have very frequently directors and composers pairing up like james cameron and james horner were a big pair of course steven spielberg and john williams and uh uh, uh colin trevorrow and michael giacchino you know and we're a whole bunch of different pairings that we have out there. So I think we're going to have different directors most likely doing these uh, series of, of, or the series of movies. I don't think we necessarily want to commit to just one person to do the whole thing, but I do think they should have a, a similar sound. They should tie together. They should be a beginning, middle and end of a musical story with it. Um, but yeah, okay. no, I, I think I will agree with you to some extent on that and I'll get to mine in a second, but if they're going to jump from composer to, po to composer to composer, they cannot do what the MCU did. They have to pick a theme and stick with it. And I don't give a crap if it's your theme or not. <laughs> but, you know, like, like, honestly, the only theme that I can see coming back is possibly the Force theme, right? Yeah. And Yoda. Okay. Yeah. Don't give me a new theme for Yoda. Don't give me a new Force theme. But anything else that you do, if there's a new character and his name is like Darth Steve or whatever, right? <laughs> okay. Darth Steve needs to have the same theme regardless of who the composer is. So if I'm Michael Giacchino and I get the first shot at it, and this is the, the theme that I create for Darth Steve, well, when Brian Tyler com comes along for the second one, Brian Tyler should not change that theme i no, I, I can agree with you on that but here's a question kind of that i have for that which is what about the evolutions of it so for example you look at fine. avengers no, 2012 well avengers 2012 it has the theme alan Silvestri, right 
and then um, Age of Ultron, Danny Elfman and Brian Tyler. Same thing, but it sounds very different from before. Right. It's, it's almost like inspired by the original theme. And then yeah, uh, with not, Infinity War and Endgame, back to Alan Silvestri and the more original sound. So what about that? Like if they take a Yoda seems there, but it just sounds different. What about that? No, because because I'm I'm more of the of the mind of uh of uh what is it uh the John Powell uh, reminiscence therapy. Yeah, oh that's that's a great track. So he took he took the Tie Fighter music and he added like some he added like some like a beat to it. You know what I mean? Like a little bit more yeah. of, a, of a beat to it. Right. I'm I, I'm fine with that. Like put your own little spin on the theme. But the core of the theme has to be like easily hummable. Yeah, that that's my thought. Yeah, and, and and so that's where I get to where I don't know where they're going, but maybe we do need somebody. You know, for, let me start with my Disney Plus, the Disney Plus stuff. So we know that Cassian Andor is coming, and right. I'm very big, very big on continuity. Huge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna say flat out, Michael G. Kino needs to do it. Okay, that's my thought. All right. Because you know he did Rogue One, so you know he can do Cassie Nandor. I don't know if it's too small for him at this point because you know he is really the, taken off in his career. He is, but I would like to see him do it now. Yeah. No, I would love my, it. My thought for Obi Wan was initially John Powell. Okay, because he did such a good job with the music in, you know, that sort of nether region between, you know, A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And everybody loved that album or the score that I thought that he would do really well in adapting some of these themes for for Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see him. But World Farm Boys got me thinking about Baron McCreary. And I think Barry McCurry did an excellent job of, you know, paying tribute. But see, I could also even see Michael Giacchino doing Obi-Wan because Michael Giacchino is so good at, especially with his Jurassic World stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, a a paying homage to Williams, but making it his own. Yeah, that that like seriously, especially I feel like uh, um, uh, Fallen Kingdom. Is an e- does an That's even so better good. job of that than uh, the original Jurassic World did. Of it's a completely one hundred percent, no doubts about it. Michael Giacchino soundtrack, but you can tell well, where it comes from. And even look at you know I, I, I don't give a sh- I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't give I don't give a crap what people say. I love Star Trek in the Darkness. I do not care. Oh, it, it's my favorite in the Star Trek movies, like the oh, current oh. current ones. It's not my favorite, but I love it. Yeah, no, uh, well, I, and, I do too. And I think he does an amazing job of, you know, obviously he created his own theme for this Star Trek, you know, iteration. Right. But the way he weaves, especially in the end credits, yep. the old 60s Star Trek, that, that stuff in, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's fantastic. So yeah. he's good. He'd be great. But again, you know, is he too big for this? Yeah. No, I get now, that because like anything that's new, any new Star Wars from Michael Giacchino or John Powell, I am there for it. It's going to be great. I still feel like the music and solo was really underutilized in the mixing and all that because it was so good. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's pluck, not likely. 
well, let me pluck my let me pluck my Giacchino uh, suggestion and okay. put him towards the the prequel films. Okay, you know, I'll throw him in the mix. I think Alan Silvestri. We've talked about it many times. He deserves a shot. Yeah, you know, because you already know that he can pull it off. You always yeah. known Alan Silvestri can pull it off, but he's yeah. definitely got a resurgence with resurgence with the Avengers films. Yeah. Um, and I don't. You know, I was talking with Ellie Kings Drew about this today, but I, I still want Ramin Jawadi to get a shot. Uh, okay. Okay. That is insane you said that because it just hit me like ten seconds before. So I'm like, wait, we haven't mentioned him yet. No, and I would I love to him. hear him too. I, I want him really bad. The, the thing that 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 Drew was suggesting or his thought was that he would like Jawadi for a way back Knights of the Old Republic show. Oh, uh, pretty games, Game of Thronesy. Yeah, I get that. But the thing is, is that is that we're so used to looking at you know canon through the lens of the EU, the old EU, you know. Yeah, the way I was explaining it is, if you look at, you know, if you look at, how to describe it. So if you looked at the years twelve hundred in, you know, in our world, through the years sixteen hundred, four hundred years, not a lot changed. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much still boats. I think there was gun gunpowder the whole time, you know. So we had we had guns. Right. Um, armor hadn't really changed. We're still riding horses. That's about it. You know, so that is 400 years technology hadn't changed that much. So, however, from 1600 to 2000, <laughs> yeah, technology has blown up. It's a different place. Like, it, right. So we really don't know, you know, we know what we're used to from the old EU, but we really don't know what the new EU is going to look like. We don't you know, know if they could... 400 years ago they're going to have, you know, sailing ships through space and purgles and all that, helping people fly. We don't know what they're going to do. If they really, really wanted to, and I doubt they would do this, but they could even have this be the Jedi existing before they had lightsabers. Again, I don't think they're going to do that, but they could if they went that way. Well, yeah, and, and this is, I, I guess, the, they're saying that the Jedi are all, I mean, the Sith are already in the rule of two. Yeah. Um, but I imagine there's a ton of lightsabers lying around, yeah. so you can certainly have... the random person a picking up a lightsaber and trying to kill you with it yeah <laughs> but anyways but my point is is that i you know I, i'm starting my game of thrones rewatch uh so i watched episode one last night and when i don't know if you ever watched the show but w- when daenerys uh, i'm sure you're familiar with who she is yeah she gets her dragon egg uh-huh Ever so faintly in just a different, like, um, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, uh, a different key, right? Yeah. You can hear the theme for the dragons. Nice. That doesn't even appear really until season four. But he's already got his dragon theme, and he's almost got it, like, really, like, wistful, like, you know. Lots of spaces between core, you know, between uh, notes. Yeah, but you can hear it, and so I think he would be a good person to keep things in order because you know we're not getting James Newton Howard, right? For this, you know, right. yeah. 
but I think he would be a good person to develop themes. I mean, I, I honestly think the, the sequel trilogy kind of lost that a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if Williams got tired. I don't know if he was overruled. I don't know what the situation is, but some of the th- some of the decisions that were made confuses me a little bit. Um, I absolutely love uh, the Falcon, was a Falcon heist or Falcon chase? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But why the Emperor's theme pops out in that in that track, I don't understand it. Yeah. You know, I that was that. Right. It's like I don't think John Williams in the prequels and John Williams in the original trilogy would do that. Well, if you listen so, to cause, um, conspiracy theories, I'm sure it's because he wrote that for an entirely different scene that was then cut and redone by Bob Iger, and we never will get to see the actual scene that it was written for. Right. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, that uh-huh. could take a place later after he after he really took everything over. Yeah, I'm going to take my tinfoil hat off now. But I have to say, though, that that, that upbeat Emperor's theme really works well. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's do, great. Do, 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 do. Like, yeah, we've right. heard it before in uh, Phantom Menace. I know, but... What, are you, are you talking about the the end of the... Uh... Yeah, the parade? Yeah. I'm talk- this still sounds enough like the Emperor's theme. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's it's great, because it's more of the same uh, instrumentation than uh, the parade was. Yeah. Just, just at so... a higher or faster tempo. And I would honestly prefer that that they keep. I, I I think, you know, once it's been established, it needs to stay the same musically. So we know the era that, or the locale, let's say, of Cassian. We know the locale of Obi Wan. So it has to stay musically the same. I would like the films to stay musically classical, you know, for the most part. But I think when you're starting to do anything else, like I think, you know. Gordon's film uh, music fits perfectly with Mandalorian, so I would think anything that's anything that's kind of removed from what would you consider like the linear sort of Star Wars story. Yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. Well, I I was going to say I'm waiting for a full synth. I'm waiting for a full synth. uh, uh, (laughs) Josh Punk. Oh, I'm ready for it. Um, well, I was going to say, I could see, uh, uh, this is, again, kind of out of left field, but for like an Obi-Wan series or something, I would be kind of interested to hear um, Christoph Beck do something, maybe. Oh, he's good. Yeah. Did and he, he he's another one. He, Frozen? Uh, I, I don't know for sure if he did or not, um, but I know he, he has previously shown a lot of range with his movies, too. You could um, have Obi-Wan on Tatooine like being really hot, and he's just like, let it snow. <laughs> Let it snow. That'd be good. No, uh, I don't know if that would be good, but he could he could do it. Sure. Whatever. You're so rude. Owned by Disney. Yeah, it is. So, uh, and I also want to throw in there too that I feel like, uh, uh, as far as John Powell uh, doing something again, I feel like that would be great. Um, or Alan Silvestri, but I kind of feel like if you if you take Alan Silvestri and you take John Powell. And you fuse them together, out comes Joe Kramer in a little bit more affordable. Dude, <laughs> like, they that's who they that's absolutely who they suggested uh for what podcast was I listening to? Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> um Soundcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were covering uh uh Rise of Skywalker. And I think that was the one girl she writes for uh I think her name's Kristen Romanelli. Or, or she writes oh, for. Uh, I, I know her. Yeah, 
Her suggestion was Joe Kramer, and I have to agree with that because his Bigfoot uh, uh, Hitler. I know that sounds weird. But <laughs> his, his Bigfoot Sam Hitler Elliott's movie, in it. That helps. Yeah, his Bigfoot Hitler movie music was amazing. Um, <laughs> Mission Impossible yeah, was fantastic. Oh, absolutely! I'd be down to hear him too. So, yeah, that was good. That's that's, that's a good call. Yeah, I, I would. 100% be down for that. And and once again, he's another one I talked to. I'm trying to remember. I think I'm trying to remember. I asked him like what his dream project would be and it might have been a Star Wars thing. I'm trying to remember. Well, let's start pumping his name out on the interwebs and see what happens. Yeah. Uh what was it? Uh No Good Deed. Did he do that? Ha, uh, I don't know. Trying, this is just off my memory. I'm not sure, but he might have done that too, which was also pretty good. So, okay. Well, uh, we, in all seriousness, this, this seriously isn't even like a music episode for us. We really, like, I didn't do any um, real prepped for this discussion that we did. This is all just off-the-cuff conversation that we're having about it. If we really set aside time and devote we an episode... Will. Yeah, we will. And, and we devote it to either the, the soundtrack for Rise of Skywalker or just this sort of stuff, like who we want to have next and all that. We can have, uh, and we have time to, you know, get together some thoughts beforehand and organize it and all this. It can be a really good one. So hopefully we get to do that pretty soon. Um, but I think the, the one of the bigger things to happen recently that I didn't even know about until you just recently <laughs> told me about this, Mark. Um, well, I told, I told you in show prep. Yeah, like very recently. <laughs> um and Tim was losing his collection. I, you know, okay. So I want to start this point of the show by saying that I repeat, I am a huge fan of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. In fact, it currently sits as my number three of all nine movies. I'm a of big all fan. time. Well, of, of of the nine Star Wars movies, yeah. It's, it's, of all time. I like it. I, I look. I love it too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Of all time? Force Awakens used to be number three, now it's number four. Force Awakens is really good. Yeah, it is. I, 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 I tell you what Force Awakens has going for it is the interplay between the characters is so good. Oh, it's it so definitely good. is, 100%. And that's the thing. Well, like, with, between Star Trek and Star Wars and all this, that's one thing. Even if you don't like J.J.'s storylines, you have oh, to give him yeah. credit for his casting and for his characters. Yep. Guy knows how to cast because because you know I, I hear we're getting another Star Trek with Chris Pine and the like, and I'm excited for that uh, because I like them talking to each other. Yeah, they don't have to do much. I like them talking to each other. Absolutely. So so it's tough for me because I will say Rise of Skywalker is better for me than Force Awakens uh, because it feels more Star Wars in the sense that it's such a grand scale. Yeah. And I love that. But man, the interactions between the characters, you know, is so good. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kazan, too. Yeah, oh, for sure. But anyways, okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, anyway, it's my number three. So I'm a big fan of it. And everything in the ensuing conversation has nothing to do with comparisons or would I rather or anything <laughs> like that. Okay? <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta put that out there. I have to because of the nature of the internet and what people are going to think. So this has nothing. <laughs> so there's a guy out there. His name is Robert Meyer Burnett. And uh, he 
basically seems to have put out uh, some, conver- some some plot points, some discussion, and some details about a draft of Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly's script for Star Wars Episode Nine. Um, it's pretty yes. detailed. There's a lot here. I barely read it. Um, the, what I have ending, read. The ending. Hold on. The ending summary is a little tough. Like okay. I don't. I. I I think the nature of it is is that first of all he revealed this in a live podcast that he does or a live uh, YouTube. Thing. So he was very deep. Yeah. Let's say the first, you know, I don't know, 30 40 minutes. And then I started taking some questions, started going off track about talking some about some other things, and then you could see that all of a sudden he's less detailed. Like I had a good chance to listen to most of this and it, and it's Great information, but clearly this will come out a little bit more because he's not the only person that has a script. And I guarantee you, once the dam breaks, the dam's gonna. Break. So, <laughs> so if you right. know if you know anything about like mo- movie soundtracks, let's say, right. uh, there's there's always a, a recording sessions for these things floating around, yeah. and traders get them, and the high end traders them, and they keep them, and they trade them for things. And then one person gets it and leaks it, and then it's all over. So I assume movie scripts are the same way. And now that's kind of out there, I, I do think we'll start getting more information soon. Because all the different drafts of all the other Star Wars movie, Star Wars movies are out there. Except for, except for Force Awakens and Last Jedi aren't. But you can find myriad drafts of the prequels, the original trilogy... Eventually, it all gets out there. You can find unused drafts for, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and, like, what is it, the Saucer Men or whatever. Oh, hey, I'd love to read that. Oh, I have it somewhere. I have yeah, to I'd find it. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that was written by Frank Darabont. Oh, okay. And then, so... they, had the, then they had the leak of the, ex- the entire two-day story conference that they had for coming up with the character of in the uh of indiana jones and you've got them talking about laoshe from temple of doom before they even did raiders so all this stuff eventually finds its way out so i'm sorry go ahead tim no well no i'm gonna build off of that i'm gonna say if anybody in our in our amazing (laughs) listener group hi if any of you ever have the opportunity to come across said information which is you know a you know pdf of this trevorrow script or anything like that um just remember that um i i appreciate each and every one of you listeners you're all amazing and i would really appreciate it if you could just you know give me a little heads up that it exists and i could uh, potentially get some hands on it um i was really excited when they said colin trevorrow was gonna do episode nine i was a little bit more excited when jj came back because he's one of my favorite uh storytellers today um but other than jj uh he probably would be like uh, if they if anybody else had replaced him i wouldn't have been any more excited than i was for colin trevorrow like i was i was psyched to hear, see what he would have done um, let, let, let them know why you're excited for Colin Trevorrow. I mean, you're a big Jurassic Park stan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I love Jurassic Park. You love Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's my number two franchise behind Star Wars, yes. Right. So, so of course, you know, you, of course you love 
Colin Trevorrow. And I have no issues with Colin Trevorrow whatsoever. So I, I just, you know, I, and a lot of people are like, what the hell did Colin Trevorrow do? Yeah. Well, only, I'm like, and only, I, two, I, only two of Tim's favorite movies in his second favorite franchise. <laughs> well, yeah, and I've said this before, but in case anybody's you know new listener or whatever, I did get the chance to meet him and talk to him for a little bit, and he was just a fantastic guy. And I really just got the impression he just genuinely loves to tell stories to entertain people. You know, I, I don't think he's one of those who's trying to you know revolutionize the system and, and you know create art whether you like it or not or anything. I think he's just trying to entertain you guys with stories. So. I think that's important for somebody in this position to maybe tell a Star Wars story. But so, okay, all right. We want to. I'm going to read this. This is a summary based off of what Robert Meyer Burnett put on his YouTube channel. Okay, so this isn't my uh, notes on it. This is somebody else's summary who has had a chance to listen to it. It's over a two-hour video, so I have not had a chance to go through it because, as Mark said, I found out about it right before we started this. Um, but so I'm going to read this. He says supposedly this is from Trevorrow's draft. On December 16th of 16, which was a week before Carrie Fisher's death, the title at that time was Duel of the Fates. Whether that's a stand-in or the actual title, don't know. But either way, it's pretty cool. Um, It even has the crawl here, which supposedly said, The Iron Grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. Traitorous acts are punishable by death. Determined to suffocate a growing unrest, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has silenced all communication between neighboring systems. Led by General Leia Organa, the Resistance has planned a secret mission to prevent their annihilation and forge a path to freedom. Okay, end of the crawl. And it opens at the... the, You know, this is a word you read all the time, but you never really say it. Is it the Kuat shipyard? I would say Kuat. What do you think of the crawl, by the way? I think it's fine. I actually like the one for the Rise of Skywalker better. It sounded more... Star Warsy than this did, but it's, it's fine. Pulpy. It's pulpy. Yeah. This one's but, fine. but it's also it's a it's a draft too, so I mean Yeah, but the iron, the iron grip. Did they did they use that in uh in Rance of Skywalker? Uh I don't think so, but maybe they did. Okay. So it opens up at the uh, Kuwait shipyards. Man on a Mission style, it says. BB-8 and Rose Tico, who allegedly was a key character in the script, are infiltrating the Kuat Moon, where uh, the First Order is building their ships. Workers are oppressed. There is an orbital ring and a moon below it. Finn and Poe are there. No R2 or 3PO. And then Ray arrives. The plan is to send explosives into the power shaft that delivers raw ore into the ring. The plan goes wrong. Uh, and it says RBM. Oh, the, the guy who who did the video uh, loves the dialogue at this moment. Uh, the first order is able to contain the blast. Admiral Vaughn says resistance tactics are pitiful. Ray is disguised as a Tuscan Raider and is revealed to have created her own weapon, which is a double blade lightsaber hybrid of her staff and Luke's cracked saber. So I guess kind of kind of like how we got her staff at the end. Like like the end of it at the end of the Rise of Skywalker, and then Luke's fused together or something like that. Yeah, I'm assuming I'm assuming it's, it's Luke's Luke's blade on one end, and maybe a new blade for her on this end and another end. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, let's see. They battle, and Poe, Finn, Rose, Ray, and BB-8 steal a star destroyer and escape. Okay. Um. Hmm. Thoughts? Uh, 
I'm a little curious how one, two, three, four people and a droid are able to steal a whole Star Destroyer that takes like an entire fleet of people to operate. Well, they suggest they suggest later. At least this was in the podcast or the YouTube that because I, I listened to some of it that she has Ray has uh, Jedi mind tricked a lot of the, the crew um, to do what to do what they want. She's so a little able, OP, but all right, eh, maybe, maybe. But we already know she's overpowered just based on. Uh, Based on how she's, you know, handled it. You I know, mean, lifting, well, look, we we see Luke lifting one, two, maybe three rocks at Empire, and she's lifting lifting eight million at the end of, uh, <laughs> you know, Last Jedi. So, well, yeah, but but that's at least building on what we have before having, like, you know, a ship wide mind wipe is a little. I'm not saying, farther I'm not saying a ship wide mind wipe. I'm saying a bridge crew mind wipe. Or a bridge crew. But did, did she? Uh, okay, did she walk into the bridge and hold the little red laser dot and say, "Everybody, look at this," and did a flashy thingy? Look, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> but I'm saying it's certainly plausible. All right, I don't know. That, that part's again, a little again, weird, but I, I, that's one of the things that I. One of the things I enjoy about all the. One of the things that I enjoy about all of the, um, Indiana Jones films. One of the things that I love about the Star Trek J.J. Abrams films is that they start, you know, in the middle of an action. True. You know, uh, Star Trek in the Darkness starts with, you know, them in the middle of some mission. And it's great. In, in 2009's uh, Star Trek, they start, sadly, in, in the destruction of, uh, what is it, the USS... Uh, Ke- um, Kelvin? No, I think it's the USS Chris Hemsworth. That's what it was. <laughs> 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 that's the that's the one that gets blown up. Oh, I but, know that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that one. But <laughs> either way, you know, it's cool to start in the middle of an action like that. You know, uh, I don't, I don't. I, I Rise of Skywalker. I'm not Rise of Skywalker. Uh, um, Revenge of the Sith started like that. Yeah. And guess what? Here's a battle. You're not quite yeah. sure why there's a huge battle over a Coruscant. But uh, you're about to find out. So, I yeah, love I think that's, it's, a, it's a great way to start a movie. Yeah, and, and like it's hard because this is just a bullet point, and you never know how they would execute it. So maybe it would have gone over fine. But anyway, no, I'm sure it would have gone over fine. So next is it says the Knife Nine is a ship containing yes. the Knights of Ren, and it arrives on Kuat, Atasca. Uh, unless- Unless it says something different in the visual dictionary, I imagine that that smoky ass, excuse my ass, but the smoky <laughs> ass ship from uh, from Rise of Skywalker is called the Knife Nine. I would love that. That's a that's a fantastic Star Wars name. For yeah, it's like yeah, it's Slave One, Knife Nine. I, I don't even know why it makes any sense whatsoever. But, but like it works. It. Yeah, it works. Um, Atasker Ren kills Admiral Vaughn for his failure. I like Who's that. Atasker Ren. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the knights, and I'm like, I like that. It's given them uh, some authority for them to do that. Yeah, because you're going to see coming up that that Ray goes against them. All right. So it says yeah. cut two. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where are we? Where are we cutting to, guys? Uh huh. Says cut to Coruscant. No longer a vibrant city. The new structures are built atop the Art Deco structures of the old Republic. Occupied by the First Order now, they have a Citadel Palace there. Uh, citizens are scavengers now. Hux is now Chancellor Hux and is being 
and is addressing Bisk Kova, a traitor who helped the Resistance steal the Star Destroyer. Kova is executed. Hux Lorem? Sure. Instead, Chancellor Valorum. Sure. Uh, uh, Kova is executed with a light blade guillotine. Ow. Nice. <laughs> this is this is something I I would have been f- a fan of. So when was it? Uh, Battlefront Two. Uh, the campaign for that. You I forget the name of the planet, but you go somewhere and it's like Imperial City. Um where you, you can tell there was a city that used to be there, and now it's all decked out with Imperial propaganda everywhere, pretty much. Um, it worked, and it was really cool. And I could totally see them pulling that off with Coruscant and making it First Order City uh, with all their propaganda stuff everywhere, and, and but it's still Coruscant, you know? And that's really great, because that takes something that was such a powerful symbol of vibrancy in Star Wars and shows immediately just visually oppression of the first order. You know, it's like that would be really cool. Oppression. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> okay. All right. Hux and Commander Selleck have a meeting with several alien warlords, which is an ode to the A New Hope Imperial Council scene. First Order has allies. They are aware of Rey being the last Jedi. The Council wants to know where is Kylo Ren? He is missing. Hux only knows he has gone searching for something of great power. But that's all he knows. Okay. Cut to. Okay. <laughs> I okay. like this again. Yeah. <laughs> this is cut to Mustafar. Kylo Ren is alone, except for a Darth Maul-esque droid. He has stubble indicating uh, he's been ser- searching for a long time. Oh Ren- my god! Ren Baby is boy's be- got a beard! <laughs> Uh, Ren is being haunted by Luke's Force Ghost. That's so awesome. It's fantastic. That's what it is. He says in the Last Jedi, you know, if you strike me down, uh, I'm I'll be with you forever, just like your father. You know, he he winks at him. Yeah, see around kid and winks at him and stuff. Like I was kind of expect in the Last Jedi at the end of the movie before we knew anything about Rise of Skywalker. I was expecting something like that to happen based off of that scene and that conversation and that dialogue. I thought he would pop up and, and have some sort of uh, presence to Kylo to kind of contribute to his his being torn apart. Um, but no. But hey, it's here, and it would have made sense. So that's kind of cool. Uh, okay, let's see. Oh, there, there, oh, here. It says, Luke says, This is where the dark path leads, an empty tomb. And Kylo retorts, where did your path lead? Okay, nice nice little dialogue there. All right. Luke is trying to convince him to go back to Leia. Kylo says, I'm going to be more powerful than any Jedi, even you. Yeah, fat chance, Kylo. Sorry. Uh, Invader's Temple. Kylo finds a Sith holocron, which reveals a hologram, a hologram of Palpatine. The recording is for Vader. Palpatine has a contingency for Vader if Luke kills him. Vader is to take Luke to the Remnicor system to see Tor Valum, master of the Sith and Palpatine's teacher. Guys, I need to read this script. That's awesome. <laughs> like, Mark, you've already, you, you know all this, or most of it already, but this is my first time going through it, and that's that's really cool. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> Okay. Are you a bigger fan of this than 
Rise of the Skywalker. Well, I have no idea because it's just bullet points, but I'm a fan of the thought behind it. Well, here, okay, well, here's another thing. So far, I would say The Rise of Skywalker was a better movie to wrap the nine movies. So far. But I feel like this uh, is a better individual storyline for new creative lore so far. Okay. All right. You're um, not wrong as, as our dearly departed. Uh, I was just going to say it's very, very Jared. Yeah, very Jared. He's not, he's not, he's not dead, but he's just not <laughs> on the show. <laughs> All right. After scanning Kylo, the holocron explodes and releases red lightning, which burns Kylo, who screams. Ow! All right. Uh, cut to Resistance Base on Kor Alaf, I guess. Uh, Leia is introduced as she feels what's happening to Ben. Chewbacca and Lieutenant Connix tell Leia that the Kuat team is back. They're shocked to see a Star Destroyer, which landed onto the planet. Funny moment with Ray using a mind trick on the First Order officers who were still on the ship. So there you go. It, it says funny moment too. I think that kind of helps because it's a little bit ridiculous in a way trying to do this. So if you make it a funny moment, it's easier to accept than to have her walk into the room and do a wave and everybody's obeying her now. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Ray confides in Finn that she doesn't feel like she has what it takes to be a Jedi and can't live up to everyone's expectations. Finn asks her if she still senses Kylo. Ray confesses she's been having nightmares. Finn asks if it's Kylo, and Ray says she can't explain their connection. It's a natural development of the characters from Last Jedi, I would say. All right. Finn says Great you have one of the characters. Well, Finn says you have to shut him out. He can't change. It's too late. And Ray says it's never too late to change. You taught me that. Okay. Fair. He was a stormtrooper. All right. That's that's messed up to use to use his own life story against him. Well, it's not messed up. It's making a point. It's it's reminding him. Yeah, but of he didn't, some perspective. He didn't, he didn't put. Let's let's everybody remember this. You know, <laughs> I, I know that everyone loves to just you know. Oh my God, Kaloran, he's so sexy. He had <laughs> Vader's helmet on a table of ashes of people uh, that he killed. Of his enemies, yeah. Yes, that is canon. It's in the books. Yeah? No, it's... Baby it boy got ashes. He's like Hitler. Yeah, well, you know who else would have done that? Who? Vader. Right! I don't know if Vader even keep ashes. Come on. Well, well no, he's not as, as sentimental. Um, but, like, you can still make the point that's something that like he would have done and how did he turn out? Luke yeah. didn't stop believing in him, and you know, I'm just I saying. get you. I get you, but he doesn't get a good life at the end either. <laughs> uh, the resistance realizes that the Star Destroyer still has most of its weapons, like tanks and ties and so on. Well, the only missing piece is an army to use it. Ray is researching the Jedi texts from Octo and discovers that under the Coruscant Jedi Temple, there is a communication system called a Force Beacon from the Old Republic that can send a signal to 50 planets. Makes sense. Uh, actually, that works, because of like uh, in Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan says something about reprogramming the signal to remind surviving Jedi to stay away, all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense that they have not necessarily the same system, but like a, a form of major communications going from there. Uh, they plan on using it to get allies. The First Order can't stop it since it predates Imperial tech. Ray says, hope is all we have left. Guys, I'm liking this so far. 
Uh, Forest Ghost Luke appears as Ray trains. Luke is pushing Ray to get stronger in the Force while he is pushing Kylo to let Ben out. Kylo makes it back to Coruscant. His face is damaged. Mandalorian armor is it says it is smelted and is being and it has been applied to his face. He confronts Hux and belittles him, saying he doesn't need titles. Ray to Luke as they train. She says, balance, the dark suffocates the light. The light extinguishes the dark over and over and over again. How is that balance in the force? And Luke says, I know that anger. My father had it too. Ray says, so says my master and his master before him. A thousand masters so eager to tell us how to live. The rest of the exchange between Ray and Luke is basically Ray trying to back away from being a Jedi. She admits she is no one. And Luke trying to convince her. Uh, he says that the Force is speaking to her. Back to Kylo. He and Hux continue to snipe at each other. Uh, or, I guess, snip at each other. Uh, Kylo says he's leaving again, but not before telling Hux the power he discovered will make destroying planets insignificant. Okay. Uh, Kylo's last order to Hux is find the Resistance, wipe them out, leave the girl to me. All right. He's got something up his sleeve there, doesn't he? <laughs> Ah, Team A, which is Rose, Finn, R2, and 3PO, are going to Coruscant to light the beacon. And Team B, which is Rey, Poe, and Chewie, go to a planet to find someone to help Rey figure out what she needs to do. Um, it's pretty... It says that's his description, which is kind of vague, but that's what it is. Kylo is going to a Sith planet. Uh, before he leaves Coruscant, he takes Vader's masks and says he understands Vader now. You allowed love to cloud your judgment, and he throws Vader's mask off a balcony, and it shatters. So that's pretty cool, because that, that, that's a good way to just, you know, further establish him as his own bad guy now, and not um, trying to live up to, his, or live up to his grandfather's work. He is established by doing that, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Leia stays at the base overseeing the Resistance. Uh, before Ray leaves, she and Leia have an exchange where Ray says she believes they're still good in Kylo. Leia is skeptical, but Ray believes in her Jedi training. Leia says, You're not like my father or my brother. You're new. Whatever happens, remember the Force chose you, Ray. Your story isn't written by anyone else. Kind of a meta thing to say there, but it still works. Uh, and apparently he started, the, the guy, what's his name again? Um, <laughs> uh, Robert Meyer Burnett just starts summarizing. Now, I guess less details. He says, The First Order tracks down the stolen Star Destroyer to Korolov. The Resistance escapes. Team A successfully infiltrates the Jedi Temple and turns on the beacon. Cut to different places around the galaxy receiving the signal. It says Bosk has a cameo here. Um, it is then cut off by the First Order. Team A then flees into the underbelly of Coruscant. Team B is being pursued by the Knife Nine and eventually reaches the planet Bonadon. Bonadon. I don't know. Uh, Kylo reaches Remnicor and confronts Torvalum, who is 7,000 years old, an alien of unknown origin, spindly, intense, uh, sinewy, muscle, very, it says Lovecraftian. Uh, Kylo begins training with Valum, owed to the Empire Strikes Back cave scene. Kylo fights Vader. Fight is brutal, and Kylo loses. All right, on Bonadon, Poe takes Rey to a seer who can pull... Uh, information out of memories. The seer pulls a star chart out of Ray's mind from her visions with Kylo. 
The Knights of Ren show up and fight Rey in a lightsaber battle. She defeats them, and Team B escapes. Both Rey and Kylo eventually get to Mortis. Yeah, see, it starts It starts really going like, what, what, what? Yeah. These, these last parts, like... I, feel, I, I don't yeah. know if we got tired of summarizing it or what the situation is. But yeah, if you're like, this detailed. is take, taking too long or something. Yeah, it's very detailed in the beginning, and all of a sudden he just, like, cuts to it. So This is starting to remind me of, like, some of the initial plot leaks for The Rise of Skywalker, where people were like, what? You know, this isn't good with the plot leaks, and, and we're taken out of context necessarily, and they were missing the, the you know, the art part of the film to connect these plot points and all that. And I feel like right. the second half is kind of like that. Um, but anyway, the point is that they eventually get to Mortis, which is pretty sweet. Um, Leia asks Lando, okay, so he's still in this, if he will organize the smugglers and fight the First Order. Rose is captured and tortured by the First Order, but is able to escape. Finn, R2, and 3PO start a citizen's uprising on Coruscant around the First Order's Citadel Palace. Ray, br- uh, I'm sorry, Leia brings her forces to Coruscant to battle the First Order. There's a massive space battle, ground battle too, which is Return of the Jedi style. Um, and Chewie flies an X-Wing. <laughs> um, Ray and Kylo... <laughs> Ray and Kylo battle on Mortis using force energy that can pull, they can pull from each other, I guess. Uh, at some point, it is revealed that Kylo killed... Re- Kylo killed Ray's parents at the, at the, at, at, because of Snoke. Huh? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Definitely a not a finished draft. All right. All right. All right. Uh, toward the end, Luke slash Obi Wan slash Yoda appear as Force ghosts to save Ben, but are unsuccessful. And it says Ben is extinguished. See, that's what I'm saying. It's like what? Now it yeah. gets really like vague. Uh, he says uh, it seems to be at the end. So just for housekeeping. The Resistance won, and the First Order loses, he said. And then one final detail is that Han Solo did appear in the script and does confront Kylo at some point. Right, but that's not mentioned anywhere. So the thing is, is that... Right, what are we missing? Yeah, he just, he just like I said, gets tired. So there's definitely promise here. Yeah. It is a phenomenal phenomenal from what i from what i read it's a phenomenal ending to this trilogy yeah it is not a good ending to nine movies yeah yeah i I would absolutely agree with that as the as the final act of these three movies um the premise except the lore being added to and everything fantastic um but yeah being the final conclusion to the skywalker saga as a whole um, it doesn't really seem to take into context. I mean, you have the like the hologram of the Emperor and the Vader reference, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't really seem to wrap up all of it. Yeah, and I wonder if that's what it kind of came down to. Um, maybe that's what the issue was, is that they're like, for all we know, Kathleen Kennedy's like, look, we have to wrap Skywalker's saga. We can't just wrap up this trilogy. It has to be bigger stakes than all. You know, that would make sense, because like they said they had their creative differences or whatever, but they were still amicable, still liked each other that. So I could see that being a difference in how they, the direction that they want to take it and them just respectfully disagreeing or something about it. Yeah, because he's, he's not trying to wrap up the saga. Yeah. 
You know, there is no emperor. There, there really is no villain other than Kylo Ren and the First Order. And as far as the grand stakes of everything, it's kind of weak. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I mean, obviously there's more to the screenplay. And, and when you actually read it, it may, uh, you know, address it a little bit. But, but it's not as grand a scale as Rise of Skywalker. All right, you know, I feel like I need to say this, um, kind of like I did at the beginning of this. The following statement has absolutely no impact of my opinion of any of the movies thus far, and especially relating to The Last Jedi. I like The Last Jedi. It is not my bottom Star Wars movie. It's a great movie. I enjoy it. I like it. All that. Okay. And which bottom Star Wars movie? And if you say Attack of the Clones, I'm going to beat your ass. No, and uh, people disagree with me, but Phantom Menace is my bottom. That's fair. I think it's my bottom, too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate Phantom Menace by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, yeah, same. Uh, actually, you know what? No, sorry, my bad. Last year, that's my bottom. <laughs> then uh, Phantom Menace. Well, it's, so anyway. Um, I, I like Last Jedi. Last Jedi is a good movie. I feel like this, story-wise, would be a better middle um, at this point. Not necessarily like with Kylo dying or stuff, but the discovery of... The, of you know Palpatine trying to get Vader to his trainer and discovering that all that I feel like this is a good way to build to a grand finale. But I think I feel like you know, and, and I'm assuming that the screenplay is legitimate. I you know I have no reason why. I mean I have no reason to assume otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but what we're missing is right in the very beginning. She has hope that Kylo Ren's going to turn, right? Or that they're still good in him. I don't get a sense of where that arc is going. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't bring it up again. They say that Ben and Obi Wan and Luke are there to try and turn him, but he's extinguished. What does that mean? I, I feel like there's more somewhere that's getting lost in translation, yeah. because uh, otherwise. You know, she doesn't do anything to try and save him. Right? I mean, I'm not, am I reading it wrong? You know, yeah, because it really makes a, a point of saying that it's the ghosts of Luke, Obi-Wan, and Yoda that try to bring Ben out more so than Rey. Right, but at the same time, she's the one who told Finn earlier in the screenplay that... And Leia. Right, that they're still potentially good in him. Right. Now... I don't know. And, and for me, as much as I think this is a solid screenplay, I love what we got oh, yeah. as far as Kylo and, and Ray. I, you know, his scene, their battle on the old Death Star, again, we've talked about this before, it's a highlight of all the movies, of all nine movies for me. And I would hate to lose that, you know? I would hate to lose. I would hate to lose. The battle against the emperor is amazing stuff. Yeah, I would hate to lose that. Yeah, I'd hate to lose the whole uh, on on Exegol, the whole like Sith. Yeah, arena. And, and, and as excited as I am that that I think that you know he turned in a really good screenplay that they just didn't go with. There's a lot of stuff. That I would, I'm so happy that we got in, in you know, Rise of Skywalker from J.J. Abrams that I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, 
it's not it's not like saying you know I think Tim put this very succinctly in the beginning it's it's not, it's not like saying that Travara's version would have been better but it's nice seeing that Travara's version wasn't dog crap <laughs> I know that sounds yeah. weird but but this no. sort of implied that that it was oh no we can't do this well no they could have and it mm-hmm. w- would have worked fine and it seems like a entirely decent movie they just wanted something different that's all yeah no yeah and, and like i said i feel like uh i feel like it would be good to have the script out there and the reason i say that is not just because i want to see it uh but also because it would do a good job of just like you said showing that there's nothing against trevaro and, and and what he was doing was quote unquote fine you know but uh i just I think at the end of the day, I mean, I'm still going to prefer what we got. I think it was an excellent movie that was great at doing its job. And as I said early on, I'm a huge fan of this, of Rise of Skywalker. Um, but I think it's a good time uh, uh, to see this script, not only because of, I think, with Trevorrow, but it also shows um, the creative potential of these characters still. Because even though you can't still tell the storyline with these things, um, there are still new characters to us, and we still have a lot of stories that we're going to find out about them through novels and stuff coming, I'm sure. Um, so I don't know. Just just hearing this like alternate reality of what could have happened is, uh, in a way, it almost seems kind of healthy for Star Wars yeah. fans. Yeah, it's kind of, and, and not just healthy, it's cool. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> Very cool. I would love to read that. I really would. Just in, in, in the... Cause I'm optimistic toward Colin Javaro, you know, so I, I, with that mindset, I would really love to read it and Derek Connolly, you know, and, and see now I will, I haven't seen, or uh, what's, what's that movie? The, uh, Book of Henry. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I know that got a lot of crap, so I, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I'm really interested. The first half seems stronger to me than the second half. That might also be partly because of the summarization and stuff. Um, I think it's all the summarization, to be honest. Well, oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it's the way it was even more succinctly just kind of thrown out at the end without much of a, a, of a story element to it. Just more of a bullet points, even worse than it was before. Um, but no, I'm really, really curious to see how it would piece and fit together in a script form. I really hope that comes out soon. <laughs> All right. Thank you for pointing that out. I had no idea this was the thing. You're welcome. So, you get to stay on for another month. Oh, I, I, I'm not booted? No, not yet. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um, I'm checking Colin Javaro's Twitter account. He made a good point that you never know. Maybe he'll say something about it. But so far, I don't see anything. So far. Uh, his most recent tweet says something about uh, uh, Christy Wilson Carnes came by our office at Pinewood today. Halfway through lunch, she got nominated for Best Original Screenplay for 1917. Why is he in Pinewood? Um, if I had to guess, that would be Jurassic World 3. You shooting at Pinewood? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Huh. All right. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just this is this that was a whole lot of uh unexpected information to have to process. Um what else? Uh, one quick housekeeping thing I want to say too. Uh I 
I need to check the dates again. I don't remember the exact date. It might be like the 16th or something. But between this week and our next episode next week should be our official four-year anniversary slash birthday slash whatever you want to call it of us being around for four years. Um, so I think what we're going to do, I'm still getting this together organized, but I think we're going to have a couple guests on and do something pretty neat, I think. Just kind of a, a community sort of thing. Um and yeah, it's something that I think you should, guys should look forward to. Um, so we'll be, should be coming next week unless plans go awry. And uh, after that, you never know. We we got to only we only, we only have a month before Clone Wars is back. So uh, that's kind of cool. That's very cool. And again, we've heard not from numerous sources, but everybody seems to say that uh, January is when we get the announcement. The announcements. Of- yeah, so what's coming next? And we are almost January. Yeah. It's what, the 13th today? It is. Yeah, so before you know it, you know, we'll be halfway through January, so. Anytime, guys. <laughs> it, it's a coming. It's a coming. I am so, can I just say right now, I'm sorry to everyone out there, I am so far behind on, uh, on resistance. I know. I was thinking about that earlier today too. I was like, "Oh, I'm behind on that." Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really, really behind. There's no issue other than you know, it's been the holidays. I've been sick. I had school. Star Wars, Mandalorian. You know, I, it's only a half hour. I don't know why I couldn't get to it. I just haven't. So I, I imagine I will rectify that by next week in case someone wants to talk about it. It's almost over. How many episodes are there? I don't know. But I know it's almost over. They just, they just threw a a two-episode uh, night uh, on Sunday. It was two episodes. So I imagine we're getting close to the end. So I'm looking now on his actual YouTube video. One of the comments underneath, somebody just says lies, and that's it. And he replied with just nope. <laughs> so I mean, he seems to be pretty standing behind it. Yeah, he's solid. I, you know, he he has way too much clout in the industry, not only as a commentator but as a filmmaker, to throw it all away to to build stuff up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like in this here's too says so someone said they weren't really impressed by the outline, and uh, it was kind of weird, whatever, blah blah blah. And he replied with just the script is really good. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, he seems to really enjoy the script. So, now I, I have I have faith that whatever he's reading, he at least bare minimum believes that it's accurate. Yeah. Now he, he just needs need to. He just needs to let us discover it for ourselves. Don't yeah. be so selfish, there, Robert. I'll make sure it's selling for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right, so I think we're good uh, <laughs> for now. Um, Changed very quickly from hey earlier today you're like hey let's talk about the music for the rest of Skywalker and and we still kind of kind of talked about some music stuff but oh we did like we, we got a good talk on yeah but it wasn't quite what we th- thought we were going to talk about but we'll still have that at a, at a future date so all right um this is where we're at uh, <laughs> let us know everybody what you think about all this stuff I'm curious um and just as a reminder we will be back next time with some sort of kind of semi community event so. Um, look forward to that and we'll see you next time good night you guys, good night Mark, good afternoon good morning, whenever you're listening to this 
I know for Mark, for us, it's good night, Mark. And uh, we'll see you next time. Wow, you're not going to say bye? I always say bye, and then I feel like you're like, no, oh, you cut into my long diatribe. Well, no, I only do that. I say, you know, uh, it's the difference between saying bye and then me saying, like, whatever, like, all right, I'm going to cut it off. And then you're like, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. If you're still recording, bye. Yeah, I am. Damn. Bye. Bye. <laughs>